Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Today in Space. I hope you've had a great week. Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun stuff on this week's episode. We're going to be talking about uh, the Year in Space mission. It's coming to a close, at least the actual year-long mission. And we're going to talk about what's going to happen after Scott Kelly and Mikhail Kornienko land back on Earth. And uh, what are we going to expect? What is this great mission going to give us in, in science? What are we going to learn? We're going to talk about that. Uh, we're going to talk about, uh, I'm going to throw you a bunch of links that I saw this week that I just don't have enough time to go into this week. And uh, also my thoughts on digital life people and real life people. Um, we'll get into that. And uh, I just wanted to say before we start the episode, I come each week at the beginning of the episode tell you about how you can help support the show and the podcast and um, how you go to the Amazon link. And I really can't thank everybody who uses that link to shop on Amazon. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You guys are helping so much. Um, I'm just so appreciative of everything you guys are doing to help support the podcast. And it gets me fired up each week so that we can actually do this show and get it done the way it needs to be. So thank you. Um, once again, use the link this week's episode or on the homepage at todayinspace.net forward slash home. And you can help support the podcast and everything we do here. Let's get on with the show. Today in space. Today in space. In space. Hello, everybody. It is February twenty fifth, two thousand sixteen. This is the last episode we'll be doing here. Uh, in February, which means next week we'll have another uh, segment for look up. So we'll be talking about what you'll be able to see in the night sky through the month of March, and I'll be doing some more mythology of uh, the constellations. And hopefully, well, I'll be bringing it to you from the Greek mythology side. Um, that's where we'll start because might as well start from my roots, right? Um, Let's see what happened uh, today uh, and yesterday. Uh, SpaceX attempted launches uh, for the SES-9 mission. Um, both were scrubbed, uh, and they're going to attempt it once again tomorrow. And uh, we'll see what happens. Another attempted landing, this time in the ocean, uh, using one of the spaceport drone ships. Uh, so that's really exciting. Uh, you know, the last time they attempted a landing, they successfully landed on land, and uh, it was spectacular. So, to to see them attempt once again on the ocean barge is going to be super exciting. So, definitely look out for that. Uh, it's going to be um, right around people right around the time people are getting out of work. Um, it'll be, you know, six, seven o'clock. So check it out there. I'll be posting a link for you to check it out. Or you can go to SpaceX.com. Um, the homepage will have the link to that broadcast. So you'll be able to watch it there. Um, let's see. Uh, well, let's, let's get into the first topic, which is really just a thought that I had had this week, uh, spent enough time with it so we could actually talk about it on the show. And uh, it's it's it it's the concept of the fact that we're living in a world where we have the internet and we have the real world, 
And there are now people who are really on the extremes of either side. You know, one of one of the great things of someone who lives in, in the digital reality is they can really find any piece of information that's available online and they can find it to you quickly, efficiently. They can give you tons of different ways to see it. They can find really cool, interesting stuff that people have shared and and give it to you in an instant. And that's fantastic. You know, on, on, on the real side, um, one glaring character trait of someone who truly lives their life in real life is you will never have to worry about that person if something goes down. They're going to have a level head. Their emotions are going to be in check. Um, their logic will be profound. <laughs> and they're just going to have this this baseline of experience that someone who spends a lot of time online or, with, or in the digital reality is not going to have. You know, the, and it really just comes down to, it just, it comes down to time spent on things, you know, um, someone who's in, in the real world will not be bummed out by things not working right away. This is definitely not the case for people online because of the, the instantaneousness. That's not even a word, but it is now the instantaneousness of things that, that are online. You know, another another bad thing about people who live digitally is that they just don't actually know a lot of things. They can quote you things. They can tell you about this thing that they saw online. They've got tons of documentaries they can show you. You know, they, they worry about, they've got FOMO, the fear of missing out constantly they're worried about how their friends didn't invite them to the thing that they saw them put up online why wasn't i invited they get irritated about things that aren't even necessarily true like how do you know just because you saw it on facebook it's true i don't know it's like their their intelligence is based entirely on the fact that it's available to them at at their fingertips you know, they don't actually have any real intelligence. They just have a almost like a Polaroid of information, you know. They take a picture, they've got it, they can pull it out whenever they want it, but they don't they weren't there. They didn't it's not them, it's just they can they can find it. You know, someone who has real experience, real reality is going to know what to do and how to adapt to it. Um, you know, a great example is, you know, a nurse, for instance, uh, a nurse is, has that real world experience who, when they're at work, they're busting their ass and they're making decisions on a dime. You know, they don't have time to think about what if, or could I do this? Or, you know, I don't want somebody to be mad at me. It's like, no, this needs to get done. This is going to save your life, and I need to do this. And they get it done. Now, I'm sure it's emotionally taxing some days, but they'll deal with that. 
and they have the the constitution and the resolution and the character to get through that. And I worry for a lot of people who are who are extremely who live their life digitally is that they don't they they miss out on two things that are inevitable facts with being a f- a physical being living in this reality that we have as they they um go through the digital world they can't handle the fact that things don't happen instantly and you see a lot of people who give up way too soon way too soon they never they never gave it a chance cuz they don't know all they know is the instantaneousness you know they don't know the 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 actual hard work that that takes for things to happen and and just being in it so that you have the opportunity to have something like chance to have something like luck that someone who lives in real life knows about you know there's so many people out there for for all of of time and like think about how long things used to take back in the old world or the ancient world right like imagine how long things took just so you could build the pyramids they went through pharaohs to finish pyramids you know how many slaves helped build that pyramid you know how long would it have taken you to i mean let's let's think about it i was up north right so simple things like you want to be warm you got to cut some wood and are you are you going to wait till last minute or are you going to get it done right away so that way you don't have to deal with it later? You know, that's some real world shit. You know, this weekend was great because, I mean, we are a little bit older now. We were younger. This is not the case, but we're a little bit older now. And it, it, it was an unspoken thing. Nobody said anything, but everyone wanted to get all the stuff, the work done as fast as possible so that we didn't have to worry about it. You know, whenever we cooked, we cleaned everything right away. People, people rotated and made sure they got something done. Everyone was doing something so that way when we were done, we were all done and we could all enjoy our time together. And that's what made this weekend so great. And that's kind of where this whole thought came from this week is was was having four days with my friends in this part of New Hampshire where, you know, that's all we had. We had a, a wood stove, we had a sink, we had some burners, and some beds. Some beers too, but some beds. You know, and it was that it was that simple. Everyone took turns getting stuff done and we just had a blast. You know, if if we were a bunch of digitally real people, it would have gotten done last minute. They would have been complaining. We would have had to have talks with people about how they should also be cleaning. You know, and then people would be irritated and that toxicity of that, the the it just it just would have sucked. Plain and simple. 
So I'm not saying that digital world is wrong, obviously. I'm broadcasting to you online. I use the internet for my business. You know, I use the internet to connect with people, to find out cool shit, to do research. It's a great thing, but there's a balance that has to be struck there. You know, for me, I I started off, I was lucky enough to born in the 90s, so I kind of saw the growth of the technology. So I kind of saw the other side. I'm not sure what it's like for young kids these days who grew up with the technology in front of them from the day they were born. You know, it's... So I I got to a point when I was, you know, in my early 20s, 22, 23, where I finally was like, okay, you know, I was ready to dump it all. I was ready to throw it out, get rid of Facebook, get rid of everything, because I was just like, what's the point? I don't, I'm just done with this. And then I realized I could do something, it's the internet, I can do whatever I want. So it took me a little while to figure it out, but then I came to this. I came to the podcasting, and, you know, this show didn't just come out of nowhere. I had a podcast uh, with my friend Mike, the Mike and Alex podcast, you know, and that's where it started from, you know. But one of the big things I needed to do was to get myself away, pull myself back so that I could work on me as a person. I could work on my character because... My character was not good. It was it was ripped down. It was destroyed. Uh, just life, man. It happens. You you and it happens to people at different times. For me, it happened when I was in college. So that was the time I was working on bringing myself back from the depths of you know having that that character ripped away from me. And I think a lot of people who are the extreme of digital lack that character and it's not that they can't have it but your character's not tested online it's really not you know your your comments your posts your those things are tested but your character's not you can say whatever you want online and have no repercussions You know, in the real world, that's not the case. And there's a pecking order to that. Um, And I'm not saying we should have that on the internet. I don't have a solution for that. But I would much rather be 70% real world, 30% internet. Because then I got some balls and I can go out there and share whatever I want. I can share the positivity out there. I can spread love. I can spread science to throw it back there. You know, I can, I can, I can put out good energy out there instead of sucking it away like a lot of super digitally real people do. But that's that's the thought for this week. You know, it's a lot. I apologize, <laughs> but uh, that's you know, I had such a great weekend that it really made me think about what we've really gotten ourselves into with the internet and real world so let's move on to the next topic and uh <laughs> and uh let's talk about some space links uh some cool stuff to check out this week that i found that uh, i just didn't have time this week to get into first up for our space links this week uh a record number 
of Americans applied to be NASA astronauts. And when I say record number, I mean record number. I mean, if you thought the Mars One uh, applicants were insane, this is to be a bona fide NASA astronaut to go into training, to go on to a mission. That will definitely happen. And something like 18,300 applicants applied to be astronauts after NASA sent out um, basically a call to all American citizens saying, if, if you've ever thought of being an astronaut, now is the time. And with all the exciting stuff that's happening between um, the, the ramp up to the missions to Mars to the missions we're going to be going to on asteroids and all the private companies that are eventually going to be requiring their own crews, you got to think they're really preparing for the next era of astronauts. And I'll tell you what, it's going to be, it's going to be really interesting. And, uh, that article, um, there's some pretty interesting stuff. So make sure you go check that out next. Also make sure to check out the video that Tim Peak had posted, um, of the ISS getting a boost from one of the, um, spacecraft that were there. And the ISS, if uh, you weren't aware, the ISS gets boosts from time to time to keep itself in orbit. And basically, you need to do that because orbits are not perfect. They decay naturally over time. Um, you know, you are in a perpetual freefall that, that is orbiting. But, you know, <laughs> the orbit is constant. Your speed and momentum will eventually degrade, which is what brings you closer to the center. So... The ISS, being this floating space lab apartment that it is, needs a boost from time to time. So one of the spacecrafts that was up there to dock gave it a quick boost. And Tim Peake uh, floats in the middle, um, not touching anything. And you actually see his body react to the International Space Station moving and getting that boost. Um, it, he doesn't fly back, you know, it's nothing because that would do like awful damage to the International Space Station. But it's it's cool. It's really cool to see his reaction. You know, um, the life's the, the experiences these astronauts are having up on the International Space Station and the stuff that they choose to share is just amazing. So um, Tim Peake being the first British citizen astronaut, um, it's very exciting to um see his posts and he's got a lot of predecessors that uh have kind of paved the way for what do you share online scott kelly being one of them um and of course commander chris hatfield being another um don't don't forget uh samantha christopher Reddy and and so many others but um i think they've really gotten to a groove of uh what what people want to watch so definitely one to go check out the last link for this week you definitely got to check this out. On February 6th, right, a asteroid, an asteroid, exploded uh, above the Atlantic Ocean in the sky um, and was the largest impact that we've had since the Chelyabinsk explosion in 2013 in Russia. Um, you probably saw the, fo- the photos and images of the asteroid exploding in the air there uh, caused, you know, damage and luckily didn't land and actually exploded in the sky. And and we were also very lucky that this asteroid exploded in our atmosphere 
because had it actually contacted the ground, it would have leveled the city. You know, it had the equivalent explosive force of an atomic bomb. I mean, well, I shouldn't say atomic bomb. What I should say is it had the force of 13,000 tons of TNT, which if you compare to um, some of the nuclear weapons that we have, it's the equivalent in strength, at least, of the Hiroshima little boy. And, I mean, that's just insane. I mean, it also makes you think, or it makes me think, I should say, <laughs> it makes me think, um, you know, it changes the whole idea of an asteroid impact or asteroids hitting us. You know, it's not just that fatal impact on the ground that we need to worry about. It's it's all the others, you know. a An asteroid exploding in the sky is definitely not as fatal, but it's definitely not a good thing either. So it kind of widens up the area of things that we need to look for, which is what I think is something we need to do. You know, an asteroid defense system for us is, is essential, but not going to happen until we actually start getting up there. Um, so cool, cool stuff. Go, go check it out. I mean, it's, it's funny. I mean, no one knew about it, right? I didn't hear anything. Right, I didn't. I didn't hear any explosions, um, and we're right by the Atlantic, so you know this stuff can happen anytime. I mean, you know, it's amazing that. Uh, I mean, the world is a lot bigger than than we really give it credit for, but um, you know, I, I didn't hear anything about an asteroid coming. You know, so this this stuff can happen anytime. So I would much rather us put a plan in place to try and. Uh, defend ourselves, or at least deflect some of these things, um, than to just kind of like, oh, well, yeah, one night it just came in and uh, there's nothing anyone could do. Not really about that. But definitely go check this out. I thought it was really interesting, and uh, I bet you didn't hear about it. (laughs) I know I didn't until, like, this week. Now, before we get into uh, the year in space and the landing March 1st for Scott Kelly and Mikhail Kornienko. Uh, I just want to do a quick 3D printing update. Um, the frame for my my box to print the ABS to keep the harmful fumes away uh, and so that I can really just start printing 24-7 um, is on its way. Uh, the frame is complete. I got the top on finally. Um, brackets were... Lifesaver. I mean, if I hadn't gone to brackets, I was so unskilled woodworking wise that I it would have taken me forever. Um, would have learned a lot, but uh, it would have cost me a lot more too. <laughs> um, just uh, you know, testing out different things and really messing up. I mean, that's really what we're talking about here and learning. Um, but the box is done. Um, I've got one glass pane in. I made uh, one door, so one of the doors is done. And I uh, tried to make the other door and uh, unfortunately either put the glass in wrong or somehow built the frame wrong. And uh, I was in one of my other rooms, the big room, uh, putting it together. I was using silicone to keep the glass in and uh, really just to seal any kind of gaps. But uh, the first door went great. The second door, not so much because... 
either the glass wasn't in the right spot or the frame wasn't and I had to remove it a bunch of times which like released way more silicone fumes than uh the first door and I didn't have my mask on at the time I didn't think the first door went so easily I didn't even consider that <laughs> that I, I could mess it up this time which is probably why I messed it up um and I really should have had that mask because I actually uh, definitely got high on those fumes from silicone and it's probably not good for me, but, uh, it is what it is. Um, you know, that's the, that's engineering, that's building things. That's, you know, again, learning experience. Um, it was really weird. Uh, did not enjoy it. Did not enjoy it. And anyone, you know, the old thing, you know, sniffing glue people used to do. I don't get that. If that's anything like that, what is wrong with you? I mean, how bad are you looking for a fix that you have to sniff glue? Because that was not enjoyable by any means. But, um, needless to say, to get back to the point, uh, I took uh, a few days off from 3D printing uh, and just from that project in general, just to give myself a few days to rest. Um, of course, not too much rest. Still had to go to work. Still had to do everything else I had to do. Um, but took a break from the project just to, to let myself rest there because, uh, uh, like I said, not enjoyable. But uh, we'll be f- continuing that next, no, this weekend. We'll get back into it. And hopefully by next week's podcast, fingers crossed, um, it'll be done uh, and we'll be ready to start printing an ABS. So that's going to be really cool. All right, now let's get to the meat and potatoes of this week's episode, uh, space-wise. And let's talk about the year in space mission that's finally coming to a close. I mean, I it's, it's really weird. Uh, this mission started when... You know, I started the podcast, more or less. So it's really weird having it come to a close. It seems like it was just yesterday that they launched. Um, I, I can't believe it's been over 365 days, or almost. You know, March 1st, uh, as of today, there's still five days left before they uh, re- have the return mission home. And uh, there's a great article on NASA's website uh let's see give credit where credit is due uh the article was written by oh wait i went the wrong way i went to the top thinking the name would be at the top but uh maybe it's at the bottom ah by rachel hobson uh at the international space station program science office at uh, nasa's johnson space center so this was february 25th so it was last updated today um, and it was edited by Christine Rainey. Um, and it goes through 10 things, the name of the article is 10 things to know about Scott Kelly's year in space. Now, um, right off the top, it's not just Scott Kelly. It is also uh, Mikhail Kornienko of um, the Russian Space Agency, uh, Roscosmos. And uh, the 10 things are actually, they're really good. It, it really brings really brings it home on what what you should know and kind of what to expect you know if you if you haven't already 
been following. Uh, you know, number one on the list is it's actually more like a three-year mission. And uh, the reason behind that is because, you know, the year prior to this mission that's about to end, they were spending an entire year um, gathering data on both Scott Kelly and Mikhail Kornienko to see, um, to get a baseline, which is what <laughs> what we were actually doing uh, with my experiment uh, with Sarah for uh, my cat Cushy to help uh, prevent her from just doing behaviors that are not good. Uh, number one, one that might hurt her. But uh, in this case, it's obviously not that way. Um, for them, they're trying to get a baseline of what their health is um, because this whole year in space mission is to help us figure out what's going to happen to humans if we spend 12 to, I think it was 16 months, which is the amount of time that a mission to Mars and back could take. So if we're going to send people to Mars, we need to know what effect, what, what are we going to, what's going to happen to them if they spend this time in microgravity. So that's a huge part of it. So the first year for these two gentlemen has been gathering data on what they are like as their human self, healthy, and before they get into space and the, and the delirious effects, deterious effects, uh, I'm just making up words at this point, um, that'll happen to them in a year-long mission. Um, number two on the list is what we learn is helping us get to Mars, which is, yes, a very important part, which is kind of what we went over before. And um, actually, to go back to number one, um, like what type of things are they actually um, investigating and uh, getting data on? And a lot of it actually are samples of blood, urine, saliva, and those samples are keyed for the figuring out what the body is doing. And it didn't just stop that first year. This whole time they've been in space, the, the last year in space, they've been storing up this blood, urine, and saliva. And it'll be stored inside the freezers aboard the ISS until a SpaceX Dragon capsule can come grab them and bring them back home. So that's really cool. Um, science! Um, but going back to number two, again, what we're learning is helping us get to Mars and, you know, a mission to Mars isn't going to take 10 to six, 12 to 16 months. Like I said before, it, it'll actually take about three years and, you know, half the time we'll be going there and half the time we'll be coming back as the article says here. And to quote the article, we need to understand how human systems like vision and bone health are affected by this 12 to 16 months living on a spacecraft. Um, and, and how do we, how do we f mitigate those effects? We've already done fantastic things for astronaut health, uh, the workout programs, the nutrition that they've gone through. And they, like, they've done it to a T. I mean, if you've seen The Martian, you get kind of an idea of it. Um, you know, they were... <laughs> You know, when he finally got in contact with uh, NASA and people back on Earth, you know, it was all about, oh, you know, well, we need you to, to, to you know, reduce your rations. We got to keep your stuff up. You know, we got to keep you uh, alive just enough so that we can get you back home. You know, granted, 
that was a dire situation, but the idea is still the same. They, they have an idea of what these people's health is like and to take it to the next level, we need to know what's happening to people. So that's where all this blood, urine and saliva comes from. It's a little gross, but that's science. Number four, um, this isn't the first time someone has spent a year in space, which is very true. Um, there are, um, back when the space station Mir, which was with the, uh, Russians space station, uh, very successful. Um, they, uh, had, I think it was two, uh, cosmonauts that, uh, that spent more than a year in space. Um, let us see here. Uh, I mean, Scott Kelly is the first American to complete a continuous year long mission. Um, and now he actually surpassed, uh, uh, the American record for the most time spent in space cumulative uh, from all his missions. Um, but um, four humans have actually spent a year or more in orbit on a single mission. And the, the, all of this happened on the Mir space station. Um, Russian cosmonaut uh, Valery Polyakov spent 438 days aboard Mir uh, and that was between 1994 of January to March of 1995. That's the all-time record for the most continuous days in space. Uh, and cosmonaut Sergei uh, Avdayev, sorry if I'm mispronouncing it, uh, spent 380 days on Mir from August of 98 to August of 99. Um, and then astronaut, uh, cosmonauts Vladimir Titov and Musa Monarov spent a 366-day mission from December 1987 to December 1988. Um, and, and those were great feats by those by that agency and, and, and in space travel. But um, they didn't have the, the science and the, the technology that we have today to get the most out of it. It was really a testament to those people's, those cosmonauts' resolve and character to 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 stay up there. Um, but you know, there we don't know, we don't have the data to say, okay, yeah, we know people have spent that long, but we don't know what it's doing to them. So number five on this list is placed perfectly. It's that international collaboration is key, and. The long and short of it is if we're going to send human beings, if, if the race, the human race is going into space, wow, that, that, that went very well, um, then we need to know everything that we can to send our people there safely. If we want people to set, spend time, we've got to figure out if we can. And keeping it secret and, and, and not combining our efforts is not the right way to go. And, and luckily we have some great international partnerships that, especially with this mission, the year long mission, all that data is being shared between the United States, Russia, and all of the international partners. And so this is space agencies that don't even have people, um, going into space yet. Uh, 
but they'll be able to work on it and to to innovate and to bring new ideas, different directions, different angles to what we can do once we know what the effects are, how to mitigate them. Where if there was only one country at a time, it would take so long. Not that it's impossible, but why are we messing around? Let's let's do this. So international collaboration, it's the right way to go. Um, on this year in space, uh, Scott Kelly has been working on over, well close to 400 scientific studies. And that's helping NASA reach um, completely, as the article says, new heights and reveal the unknown and benefit all of humanity. You know, he's worked on things, you know, he's, he's drawn blood, collected urine and saliva, obviously. Um, he's done computer tests. He's, he's done journaling. Um, he's taken care of two crops in the veggie plant growth facility. One was the space lettuce, and he also was taking care of the space flowers. If you haven't seen the picture of those, they're fantastic. Um, he's worked on ocular scans to see the, um, the effects that the eyes go through, ultrasounds. Uh, he used the space cup, which is the first cup to help us pour like we do in real gravity because if you've ever seen any videos of liquid in space, uh, it likes to stick to itself and uh, it doesn't pour. <laughs> gravity is very good with that. Um, he's also uh, performed runs with the Spheres robotic satellites, which the best way I can describe that is if you think about the first Star Wars movie when uh, Luke is training um, with a little ball that's shooting the little lasers at him and Han Solo makes fun of him. Um, that's basically what the Spheres thing looks like. It's not the same. It's not testing the force, but um, it's a really cool satellite uh, that they're working on. And it just kind of can move around and position itself. It's it's wild. Um, it's also measuring sound. Uh, he helped uh, deploy CubeSats, measured radiation, and um, participate in the fluid shifts testing in the Russian Chibis pants, or C-H-I-B-I-S. I'm calling it Chibis. Um, and plenty of other things, including doing you know, station maintenance and, you know, just three spacewalks, you know, whatever, you know, um, <laughs> he's done so much stuff. It's, it's incredible. And that's not including all the things that Mikhail Kornienko has done. You know, you take that basically, um, has done the same as Scott Kelly. So, so much stuff has happened in this last year. It's really wild. Uh, and the rest of the article really talks about just, uh, some some key points, you know, one, obviously, he won't have to eat uh, through pouches anymore. You know, his food can actually uh, come on a plate and uh, he can have whatever he wants now, which is really fantastic. And I think it's going to be one of the big, big joys, other than the fact that he'll be able to see his family and the people that he cares about and, you know, enjoy other things. But food, I think, is going to be so enjoyable. Number eight on this list, of course, is uh, the inevitable physical therapy you're going to have to do, uh, of the reconditioning of your body once it comes back. Um, you know, your heart's going to have to adjust to uh, shifting fluid around your body, like 
it used to when it uh, was under the influence of gravity. Um, muscles that weren't used um, will be tested again after they have atrophied. Uh, bones have also atrophied. The density of them have gone down. We, and uh, if you want to hear more about this stuff uh, and just have a fun time listening to a good podcast, uh, make sure to listen to the Drinking with Engineers episode we did. It was a little while back uh, with my friends who are both uh, in genetics and uh, I had them on just uh, so we could talk about the year in space mission and come from their perspective because I'm not a geneticist. They are in the genetics field and we had a few beers and had a great time. So definitely check that out because we talk about a lot of the different things, really go deep into both this mission of, of what they're testing, what happens to the human body in space and which is the really the next part of this uh, article number nine, the twin study, um, which is testing the the great opportunity that we have twin astronauts, twin NASA astronauts that that are one uh, being Mark Kelly, who's a former astronaut who's been on the ground as our as our baseline, our control. And Scott Kelly, who's been in space for a year continuously, and we're going to see what happens genetically, you know, uh, physiologically, behaviorally, microbiologically, yep, and uh, molecularly and omically. We're going to figure out, I'm not even sure if that's a word, we're going to figure out, we're going to have for the first time a real basis of what changes, because we have the unique opportunity of testing people who are identical genetically. So that just doesn't happen every time. So it, it really is uh, an amazing mission. But we won't know really what's going to happen or, or what happened for a little while. It's going to be great. We're going to have information coming out uh, for the next few years. But it could take months, it could take years before we really know once the papers are published and the science is done. Uh, it could take a while. Science, you know, you can't rush science because then you're not going to get real results. So it'll take however long it takes, but when we get it, that is when we're going to find out where we lie. You know, can humans really spend long durations in space or are we really not supposed to be up there? Or will we figure out that with just an adjustment in training or an adjustment in our living style um, or, or just fixing what needs to be fixed, if we can do that, then we can really figure out how to become an interplanetary species and, and figure out how to, how to get everybody who wants to go out into space will know what needs to be done. We'll know what our spacecraft needs to have on them. We'll know what the, um, what the humans on board will need to do to keep themselves up to shape, up to par to, to battle the, the final frontier, you know, and, and push our bodies past where they were supposed to be. And the only way we can do that is with science. And it, 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 it's really, it's so much fun 
to to think about the possibilities. You know, there's going to be plenty of people who are going to come out and say, you know, all the negative things and talk about how it's not going to happen. But I don't know. It just seems like that's, it's like, well, okay, we could talk about that, but why don't we talk about the stuff that we're, the awesome stuff that we're doing? I mean, even if we don't find anything definitive, like just because we can't say at the end of this mission, yes, humans can spend continuous time in space we will have information we will be able to go to the next step you know we'll be able to figure out what our next step is and that's really what the end of this list is about is is what is our next step and we won't know until this mission and the science that's involved comes out but all i know is it's going to be exciting and I'm going to be watching it the whole way. So, uh, don't worry. Um, you won't have to, uh, try and venture too far. I'll, I'll, I'll bring it to you. We'll be bringing it because, uh, this is an extremely exciting time to be involved in, in, in the space industry. And just, I think everyone wants it to happen. We all want to go to Mars. I think most of us would love to go into space. Most of us are terrified of it, but that's okay. That's understandable. I think that's completely natural. But the ones that are crazy enough to want to go, this could actually happen. You know, and then a few things down the road, you know, um, commercially, you know, Virgin Galactic or another one like that starts selling seats to people to go into space for tourism. We start getting that going. We'll learn, uh, we've already got a baseline of, of what happens to people in space, even short term. You know, that'll be great. That'll get cheaper. We'll be able to take our first baby steps into space on the edge of space. And then um, right around the 2020s and uh, 2025, we'll be pushing even further into space. We may even see... Who knows, whatever the next space station is going to be, maybe it's got capability for tourism. Maybe you can spend a stint up there, you know, and, and, and live up there for a week, a month. Who knows? You know, and all these other private companies that are out there, the sky is the limit for them. You know, whatever they're able to accomplish is what they'll be able to do. And if they just keep pushing, I mean, we've already, we've got two companies, Blue Origin and SpaceX, who have done the impossible. They have landed rockets after launching them above the common line, the edge of space, and landed them. Never been done before, was deemed to be impossible. But through engineering feat and just human determination... We figured it out. A lot of money, but we figured it out. You know, and this is all in the name of making space travel cheaper. So that way you can take a round trip somewhere and then they can use that ship to do another round trip instead of what the situation is now, which is basically take it, take a one shot trip, few million dollars every time, you know, and that's, few million dollars are just in fuel. That's not including 
the fact that you have to build one ship for one trip, super expensive. But now we're moving towards this reusability rocket, reusable rocket age, where the price is only going to keep dropping. It's only going to get cheaper. And when that happens, so many more opportunities are going to open up. And, you know, uh, let's take it another step further. What else happened this past year? We actually had a law passed <laughs> by the United States government that's essentially, allegedly, <laughs> telling citizens, American citizens, to go out into space to explore. They're setting up a whole infrastructure, uh, a, a, a business structure, so that businesses can go out there and send people out there. They'll, um, they're encouraged, if I, if I have the wording correctly, to go out and explore and to find water, to find forms of life. And it passed unanimously. It's one of the most shocking things politically that's happened in the last decade or so. You know, so everyone's really kind of hoping this goes off and everything's everything's lining up. It really is. And it's uh, <laughs> it's going to be a blast to watch. So I can't wait and I hope you guys stick with me. So. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. And uh, we'll be back next week with, with more. More space, more science, more love. And again, just thank you for listening. And uh, make sure to go to the Amazon link on this week's episode. Uh, go, Or you can also go to the homepage and uh, help support the podcast. You know, Thank you to everyone who already has. You have no idea how much it means and how much helping to, to improve the show and then get the word out there let's get into space get your ass to mars have a great week everybody kick ass and we'll see you next week